0: Good morning, Cross Point Community Church. We're going to pray this morning. And the word that comes to mind, kind of the theme of our prayer this morning, we'll tie this all in to everything that's going on, but is the word legacy. Legacy. When you think of legacy, you think of men and women who've impacted the kingdom of Christ in a major way. And this morning, it's, this is hard, <laughs> I'm sorry. This morning, Royal Blue's going to be with the Lord. And I just, I just wanted to just pray for him. Right now, Hannah and, and Andrew had to go over there. And, and I just think about um, just all the, all the ministries that he's started here, that the, that the Lord has used him in a major way. Everything that I do as far as ministry is pretty much in a ministry that the Lord, through him, started. I, I love the mission. I preach over there. I'm part of Open Door Community Church before I came here. They're they, they a part of that movement. Um, my father-in-law, whose father is also a seminary professor, is with the Lord now. Good, good friends with Royal Blue. And so coming here was a privilege to come to this church. I want you to know that. And this pulpit means a lot to me. So let's just pray for him. And for you, who've been impacted by him. So Father God we just thank you for this time together Lord I we're just so grateful for this man and his heart his love for people Lord his desire to make Jesus known on every level Lord if I were to have everyone in here raise their hand and, and they would confess the fact that they have some grandchild or some child or they've been to some camp or someone has come to know Christ in here through him and that's a lot of the reason why we're here. Lord, we do pray for him. These are going to be tough days for this church. It's going to be tough days for those that are tuning in right now through even KVIP, Lord, and all the people that have been impacted by this man's ministry. Lord, I pray that you give him extra comfort right now as we pray. We pray for Andrew and Hannah, Lord, and that they'd be able to enter into that hospital to be with him. We pray, Lord God, for every single ministry that he's began in this community. I think at KVIP this morning, as they still faithfully proclaim the, the gospel message, week by week. Lord, I think of the Good News Rescue Mission, where this desire to love the unlovable, love the ones with the greatest needs, not just by preaching the gospel, but sharing the love of Christ and the legacy that's left there. Lord, I think of this on our own church and our precious pastor, Pastor Andrew, who is even in the line of that man, And, and he's got his heart for people. He loves people, and he's faithful to the scriptures, and he feeds us week by week the word of God and I ask also Lord that you would comfort your people comfort every single person in here Lord you're you're near it says in your word to the brokenhearted Lord you know what it is to suffer you know what it is to grieve you know what it is to lose friends family and we see our very Lord crying at the tomb of Lazarus weeping over his people the so lord help us to know that it's okay to grieve it's okay to follow in the footsteps of our lord and i pray that we would take the baton lord would challenge to us to take that baton and to continue on the work of the gospel of jesus christ and lord that is a heavy task because we're sinners saved by grace and we only have gifts that you've given to us so lord just help us to be faithful and in the days to come, Lord, I pray that Pastor Royal Blue would be remembered as the one who you worked powerfully in and through, and an example of a man whose whole heart is dedicated to following you with his, with his life. And that speaks into my life as well. So Lord, be with us this morning, just as we grieve in the days to come, but not without hope, because Royal Blue is born again and he's born again again into the kingdom of God, into his homecoming, and that's where he wants to be. So Lord, help the grievers, but Lord, also, we, re- we rejoice with the angels in heaven who have, have gained a great entrance into heaven this morning, today. So Lord, help me this morning as I, as I try to preach the word with faithfulness, and I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm supposed to dismiss the, the children. Danielle's in the back, she's raising her hand. If you guys um, have children, first through third grade, uh, we've, we've jump-started that again. I was up in the, um, I sit up there where all the centers are. Raise your hand, you guys. I'm just kidding. I like being up there. Someone's got to be up there. That's where your kids go to get away from you, by the way. Um, but one of, they said that they had, um, you know, they're starting the first through third grade up again, and one of, the, one of the little girls up there, she's like, yes! She was so happy. I'm like, that is so awesome. So we're still asking for you. Um, if you haven't noticed, Andrew was not scheduled to preach this morning because we're, we're trying to send a message that the kids are important in this church. So the elders, we volunteered to, um, to take up the mantle of teaching these little guys, these little kids, and uh, hopefully it's with the purpose of trying to train and equip some people to be in there, okay? So that's why we're doing We believe in Ephesians 4, where God's given gifts to the church to equip the body, to do ministry. So how important is it? To me, one of the most important ministries in this church is children. And so we're, we're trying to make that point by Andrew every once in a while stepping out, and we're, uh, we're up there. We're not doing that uh, grudgingly. We actually... We love being with kids, so we love your kids. So let me say something by way of um, a conference as well. We have the opportunity to have uh, Dr. Nicholas Ellen and his wife, also doctor, Dr. Vanessa Ellen, come out to our uh, little old place called Redding, California, um, and join us for a conference. And this is a really special thing that he's doing for us. He's a good, good friend of mine. And right now, even as I talk, he's in Brazil ministering to the church over there, and he flies all around the world doing what he does. And so it is a treat for him to come to our church and not only come by himself, but he's bringing his wife. So what that means is you guys have the bulletins in your bulletin. You have the information there. We're trying to make it so everyone on every level in this church can go to this conference. So if you have kids, you're like, well, I've got kids. It's fun for you. You you know, your kids are older. We have Shasta Children's Ministries, if you guys have heard of them. They're coming to serve and minister to the kids while we're having a conference. So we're so thankful for them that they're willing to do that. The cost is as low as we can. We have flight fees and hotel fees and all this stuff. But if that's a problem for you, let us know. That's never gonna be a hindrance for anybody in this church if you just wanna come, okay? So just reach out to me or Chuck or any of of us. And I just say, here's, here's my thing. I'm trying to rally our church we're going to invite other churches, but I want our church to be present. And this is something we want to do annually and, and kind of build on it. How many have had the opportunity to hear Dr. Ellen when he came before this COVID stuff started? Yeah. So you, I've heard that he's, he's a guy that's able to speak on a level that people can understand. It's practical. It's not theoretical. And, and you'll be able to apply whatever he's teaching to your life. So just more to come on that. I just wanted to give a plug. We've, we've started that process by putting a bullet, putting in your bulletin information, and if you guys have friends, um, it's really not something you want to bring. If you guys are like praying for somebody that doesn't know Christ, it's really probably not the avenue for that. They can come, but um, if you have friends that are Christians that are in other churches that want to come, invite them. So that's all I'm going to say on that. Okay, so this morning, I'd like you to open your Bible, if you have it, uh, to Luke 17 open your Bible or whatever else you have some device Luke 17 I want to start begin in verses 5 and 6 the the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith! Exclamation point. I got that right. My wife laughs at me because (laughs) I got all fired up when my dad died because I was doing the memorial service and there was like a lot of unbelievers. So I'm like, I I wanted them to know the gospel. And I was getting so passionate about it, you know, about sharing what I was sharing and I'm animated I'm doing my thing and I kept saying quotation marks right quotation marks and my wife's like and I should have been saying exclamation point so there's an exclamation point here in verse 5 increase our faith and the Lord said if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So we can say, according to the teaching of Jesus Christ, that this virus and everything that it brings with it, we could say, if we have enough faith, be gone, and it will obey us. Amen? We could say to those that maybe have experienced a very difficult thing in their life that whatever it is, I I never forget the time when I was working in the hospital and one of the worst nightmares for everybody on staff and everybody that is a mother and part of that family is a stillborn birth. It's one of the worst things to deal with that expectation of a, of a baby coming and then the doctors pronouncing that the baby's going to be delivered and it's not going to have a heartbeat now i remember a mother sitting in in a room and she's thinking along the lines of this if i just have enough faith that i can have this baby breastfeed and it will come back to life it'll be resurrected to life and I remember them saying to the uh, the medical staff, and they're gonna do what they can to accommodate. That's what they do. But it's like your baby is pronounced dead, and you want to raise this baby to life. Faith, the baby wasn't raised to life, and you have a disappointed mother. I don't know where she is to this day, but her faith wasn't enough. And the pastor is outside who teaches that you need to increase your faith. It's not enough. You need to have faith. But life happens, doesn't it? And people are left bankrupt with this idea. Was was it my fault? And what a position to be in, right? Was this my fault? Did I not have enough faith? Maybe we should... Get in the van today and just target everybody in a wheelchair in Redding, California, and just go pray that they would be able to stand up and walk. Maybe we should do that. Because Jesus is saying that if we have faith, a faith of a mustard seed, we can tell a mulberry tree to be uprooted and thrown into the ocean. So why not someone who's in a wheelchair? Or what about a past that you have? Just a a tough past. And you've talked to people, and you just think, man, if I just have enough faith, and you pray that God would erase that memory from you. But every once in a while, it comes back, and you're left dealing with that memory. Maybe it's the faith to not take those prescription medications that the physician has given you. If I just have enough faith, Lord, increase our faith. Maybe it's parenting your kids. And they've gone astray. And you're, you're banking on a prayer that they prayed, maybe. And you're just leaning on everything that you have. Just incre- increase my faith, Lord. If I have enough faith, they will be okay. In spite of whatever choices they make. Maybe it's faith. Friends, if this has been your experience of Christianity, can I tell you this morning that I am glad that you're here? I am glad that you're here because God has you right where he wants you, Today, right here, right now. The fact of the matter is that if you believed Luke 17, 5 through 6 to mean that you can uproot problems, uproot pain, uproot your past, uproot prescriptions, your physical problems, your parenting with your faith, then you have been conned. You have been conned. My friend, Dr. Ellen says it like this. When you take a text... When you take the text out of context, what do you have? What are you left with? Come on, church. A con. And that's exactly what I've done to you. I've set you up. I'm the man with the withered hand that was put in the room today to say to you, Amen? No, pastor, not amen. That's not what that passage means. So what does it mean? Remember this. God does not have a communication problem. He does not have a communication problem. What I mean by that, and the fullness of God's revelation culminating in Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus is the language of God. And the illumination work of the Holy Spirit to inspire and to work through broken people like you and me, we call them apostles, to, write, to help them and their personalities and everything, that everything that's pinned here in the Word of God is exactly from God. That's what it is. It's breathed out by Him. He communicates perfectly. But the problem, it's not a communication problem. It's always an interpretation problem. So if that's true, we need to to look at the verse in its context. So let's look together in Luke chapter 17, back up a little bit, and we'll read the full context, and yes, I do believe that all these passages go together. This is not uh, Luke writing things down in the, f- you know, 21st year, and then on the 30th you write something else down, and on the 35th you write... No, this is together. This is a teaching that's whole, and it's, it's meant to be looked together in the context. Because a text, a, a-, a context, without a text is what? A con right? So let's, let me show you this morning from the context what this passage means. We'll draw some things out from it. In verse 1 of Luke chapter 17, and he said, that is Jesus, he says to his disciples, so he's talking to who? His disciples, right? He's not talking to people that aren't his disciples. That's important. He said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, dress properly, serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because because he did what was commanded? So also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So let's take a a look at this passage in its context and draw some things out. The first thing that I want you to see is that temptations to sin are certain temptations to sin are certain and he said jesus says to his disciples temptations to sin are sure if we read the 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 scriptures we know this we know if we read the scriptures that there's a real devil who seeks to devour christians we know from the scriptures, if we read them in First uh, John chapter two, verses 15 to 17, that, that Satan has a world order that's given to him by God. Second Corinthians 4:4, that that order includes blinding minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know that the way that he does that is he distracts, and he distracts on threefold, threefold level. One, by the temptation of the flesh; one by the, the pride of life. And the other by the temptation of the eyes And that's what you see him doing Throughout redemptive history In the very beginning when he's introduced in Genesis chapter 3 And he's tempting The first Adam And the first Adam failed The first Adam failed Not because he bought into what Satan was doing The first Adam failed because he listened to his wife That should tell you something, man, right there, right? No, it shouldn't He Rebuke me right now Because that is not right at all the fact of the matter is, in the dynamic heart, there's things that are going on that are different. That's the that's the the thing. With Eve, she was she bought into that temptation from Satan, and she ate of the tree. But the man who was there with his wife, with her, right? What was his 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 temptation was wanting to be a people pleaser. In this case, it wasn't Satan; it was his wife. And that's what Genesis 3:15 through that section says. So we shouldn't be surprised that temptations. Are certain they're gonna come right we shouldn't be surprised when James talks about this inward desire in our heart that's causing fights and quarrels among us and what is that there's a war going on within the life of a believer who has been born again you've got this battle going on between your flesh ie remaining sin and this new uh, awesome thing that just happened where the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and that's the war that goes in on inside of you so temptations in a fallen world are certain that's number one number two he he starts to move this in a little bit closer Jesus says he says tempting Christ's little ones to sin has consequences okay so Jesus realizes that temptations are certain but he also is saying now there's a certain thing going on that be very careful because these little ones that I talk about which are disciples If you look at the first verse, if you tempt these little ones to sin, there are consequences. And he says, but woe to the one through whom they come. They're going to come, but woe to the one who they come. Verse 2, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Okay? So, millstone, big, concrete, big old donut thing around your neck, very, very heavy, thrown into the sea, down, immediately down to the ground, the sea of forgetfulness, right? Just gone. That's the picture that Jesus has given you. This is quite the picture, right? Because when we put things in that perspective, temptations are certain, yes, but tempting one of Jesus' little ones to sin, bottom of the ocean. That's how serious it is. Number three, when sin occurs between Christ's little ones, Jesus provides instructions for the household conduct. It's interesting in light of where we are in Luke. In Luke 17, we have not got to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, I teach this a lot. I did my whole entire dissertation on this topic, and I have... um, many, many hours that I've taught on this topic, and one of the big trip-ups with people when I teach this is, come on, verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Seven times in a day? What is this? Right? But you know what's going on? Let me help you. Jesus is laying out the household rules for conduct in outline form. Let me explain. He does the same thing with the gospel. Yeah, you know, I hear these young, long, young millennials, these young, reformed and restless type guys are all, oh, what's the gospel? You know, let's get together. We need like they need to invent it, you know? Like we need to find the gospel. Oh, we can't find it, so we're gonna make it up. We'll reinvent Jesus, we'll reinvent the Bible, we'll change God into the image we wanna change him into. And it'll be all that, you know what? That's a heart that's being ruled by selfish ambition, and it's not the gospel. There's a different gospel. But there is a place in the scriptures where Paul just flat out says, here's the gospel. Where's it at? Someone on the radio did 1 Corinthians 15. That's right. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, here's the gospel that Jesus died according to the scriptures, that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that he rose again according to the scriptures. That's it. But you're like, but that's not it. Yeah, it is it. That's the gospel. That's why what Andrew showed about the thief on the cross, I don't know about you, but the thief on the cross told me, the guy in the middle, the middle, Jesus, he told me I can go to heaven. He understood that idea. Jesus died. I'm a sinner. Simple, right? He didn't get to see the second part buried in resurrection, not from earth at least, right? But that's Paul saying in its intricacies here's an outline for the gospel. But we know that the gospel involves a lot of other things, right? I mean, who is Jesus? Who is he? What did Jesus do? Right? What does the resurrection mean? What does it mean to be born again? And all the rest of these things get filled in by the rest of the Bible, right? Because it's an outline. That's exactly what's going on here in Luke 17, 3. Jesus, before his church, is going to be formed. That's not going to happen until Acts chapter 2. What's happening before the Holy Spirit would come down and indwell believers? Jesus is just laying this out. And he's given them the household rules for conduct within his community of people. Now, let me explain this, Luke 17, 3 in light of the rest of the New Testament. The reason this is so challenging is because we say, uh, if your brother sins, what's a sin? Is it a sin? Is it a preference? What is it? We need to figure that out, right? Is it, does somebody just offend me? Me? But it's not necessarily a sin, it's just a pre- preference? Maybe I have this personally acquired standard that I have set up, and someone violated my personally acquired standard, and I get ticked off, right? I wear a tie when I preach, and I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't it just makes me want to wear it more that's all I still read a Bible with pages in it like you can actually hear it flipping and some of you are still doing that amen I got one right and I don't care what you young millennials are doing you can say you have a phone but I know that you get notifications that distract you my Bible doesn't notify me it doesn't ding yo I got this email going on oh yeah it's Instagram oh yeah Facebook nope it's just me in the text I'm old school I preach from the pulpit. I hate this stuff. I do. I loved when I was at Open Door and I said, hey, let's open your Bible, and everybody opened their Bible. I hate filling the blank, but I give you my full notes. But these are personal preferences. I'm not slamming Andrew. I love Andrew. Andrew's, Andrew's in the digital, he's good at it, right? His transitions are smooth. He comes up here, he's got the, he's got his stuff, you know. If I were to say to Andrew, Andrew, that is sinful. For you to have a PowerPoint on the weekend. And who's the knucklehead that's playing the drums? There's no drums in the church. You guys know what I mean, right? Those are just personally acquired standards. You can't find that in here in the Word of God. So how do we know what sin is? We, the Bible fills the rest of that in, does, doesn't it? I mean, it's full of, it's just full of everything of this is what sin is. What about repentance? Oh, that's a hard word, right? Some of you are like cringing. No, he's not going there. But this is a word that's biblical and it's beautiful and it's got a context and you can't change without it but what does it mean to repent yes this is the hard part of what I do when I'm in the trenches with people it's getting to people to see that the teaching but oftentimes what I'll tell the people this is an outline we're gonna move in on this so when it comes to hard hard things that people are dealing with big old sins right big old sins you, You want to make sure that it's a worldly, not a worldly sorrow, but a biblical sorrow, right? What about forgiveness? What is that? What does it mean to forgive? You see what I mean? We're going to have to fill all that in, in the rest of the scriptures. So, Luke 17, 3 is really what I call it, it's an outline for what Jesus expects of his little ones what he expects for them to do when temptations are certain, when we will be, if we're honest with each other, we will be sometimes, I don't like to use the word cause because I believe people are responsible for their own actions, their own words, their own thoughts, their own emotions, their own will, their own relationship to one another. But the rest of the New Testament tells me that I know that I'm not the cause, but I can definitely be influencing people, making it harder for them. And I'm not above this. I've been there. And you have too, if you're being honest. So isn't it beautiful that Jesus is saying here, look, I know this house is going to be put in order, the Holy Spirit's going to come, it's going to indwell. it's going to be messy because there's messy people, there's real problems, but there's a real God. And this God is going to bring some sort of a redemptive order to community, and that culminates in the church. So in the church, you have this going on. Now we look back on something before the cross, and we can say, if we're going to glorify God if we're going to love God, if we're going to build our lives upon the words of Christ, not only for salvation, but also for what we call progressive sanctification, that's discipleship, walking with the Lord after the cross, if we are going to do this, we're going to have to pay attention to this household conduct here. Very, very important. Here's a picture of it. I, I can't give you the full teaching on this because this is right out of a seminar that I do. But I'm from Southern California, and uh, my son's gotten into surfing nowadays, but I, I'm too scared, honestly. I, I do not want to go in the water. They're sharks. They're great white. They have big teeth. My German shepherd has big teeth, but shark, great white sharks have big teeth. Where my grandma grew up, uh, where I grew up, and my grandma grew up also in, in uh, Morro Bay, California, and they surf out there. Well, recently, someone sent me a picture of a shark board, you know? I'm, I'm not a surfer if you want to talk to a surfer talk to my son he talks like one right But this big old long surfboard, I don't know eight feet something It's got a big old bite mark out of it like a sh- great white shark just came up to that surfboard and just ate it Thankfully the person was able to live to tell the story about it right But so, so this is what's on my mind So the I surf is simply an acronym just to help you remember what Jesus is saying On the one hand, you've got two builders here. This is kind of going off of Matthew chapter 7. You've got two builders, and both of them are building their lives on the words of Christ, which is the rock, right? So temptation to—all this stuff happens, and there's quarreling among one another. The triangle represents God, and the arrow going towards God represents the most important thing, which is someone's relationship to God, okay? Okay? That goes in this direction. So what does God expect of the suffering saint, that someone who's on the other side of sin, someone who's not sinning, but someone who's on the other side of it, what does God expect that person to do? I forgive. That's what he expects them to do. What about on the other side, where there's been sin uh, happening from the other person? This person has influenced another person to sin. Well, they need to repent. I repent. Both responsible for those things. Pay attention to yourself that's the I who's responsible for that both people pay attention to yourselves okay if your brother sins who's responsible for that the sinning saint he sinned if he sins rebuke him who's understanding for that and and you're like okay all right I S what's the you doing in there right that's stretching it big time and I am I'm stretching it Rebuke, R is a long way from you, right? So what's going on here? I'm going to give you guys a nugget this morning. This word for rebuke is actually what we call a tentative rebuke. All right, have a good morning. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Let me explain it. I'll explain it. So tentative rebuke is more of, before I come with accusations, I'm going to come in a spirit of trying to understand what's going on. Before I start railing in on, you did this, can you believe this? I'm going to approach you in a way where I'm trying to understand and I'm trying to listen before I make any judgment. That's hard, isn't it? If, If rebuke was being done like that, it wouldn't be a bad word. It wouldn't. But that's the way, that's what's drawn out of the text here. That's what it means. Come at that person in an understanding way. And then who's responsible for repentance? Obviously the person sinning. Who's responsible for forgiving? The suffering saint is responsible for forgiving. One of these days, I plan on teaching my seminar here. I'll give you guys the full teaching on that. But for now, we've got to keep moving. The fourth thing that I want you to take away from the text is that Jesus teaches his little ones that faith involves focusing on what one can control. Focusing on what one can control. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So what's going on here? Oftentimes I get to say to people, when when you're, you're working in the mess of life, when people are in the trenches of life, And sometimes they're not seen clearly They really have been hurt One of the hardest things that I have to do Transition to sooner or later Is the idea of personal responsibility And this is the hardest thing to do In counseling and discipling another person But catch what's going on here The apostles knew this was hard, right? How do you know that? Because of how they responded This increased our faith is not in the context of a deliverance model, right? It's not in the context of a healing ministry, even though forgiveness and repentance can be very much part of that healing. But it's in the context of a teaching that Jesus has already started in verse one, where it says that that conflict is certain, it will have temptations will happen. He gives that the consequences of that with the millstone analogy, He gives the conduct, the household conduct of these are the, this is what you need to do when this does happen. And now the apostles are like, what? What? This is how you know they're human. Because they hear very clearly what Jesus is telling them to do. And I have been one of these guys in this crowd saying, what? And then the icing on the cake is Jesus seems to be talking about all you have to do, all you have is going off of their word. How do I know that? Because Jesus is saying if he does this seven times in a day, forgive him. So what we have to learn is we're not God when it comes to judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what we have to learn. And God just allows us to to take up our own responsibility, which is paying attention to myself, Which is putting things in perspective that this person belongs to Christ. That should begin to tone me down a little bit as I approach the other side. So I can come to them with an understanding way. If I'm doing those first two things right, I'm being under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm doing. Here's another picture for you. Part of this was taken from uh, Paul Tripp, his concept. And I just kind of adapted it to my own um, teaching. So you have the circle of concern, the circle of responsibility. On the outside of the circle, you have your concern. You entrust this to God. This is what belongs to God. In the middle, that's what belongs to you, as far as when it comes to uh, personal responsibility. So, without the the S-I-S just means sinning saint. S-U-F means suffering saint. But I will, so if if you're paying attention to this, I'm going to focus what I can control, and I'm going to pay attention to myself. I will remember that the sinning saint belongs to Christ, I will rebuke the sinning saint if he repents. And rebuke means trying to understand, right? And I will forgive the sinning saint if, if he repents. I will do this each time he repents. If the sinning saint refuses to repent, I will remain willing to transact that forgiveness with that person. But if, even if the sinning saint does not repent, what does God still expect you to do? To love the person unconditionally but his person is my enemy jesus said love your enemies there's no way out of it you still love them unconditionally let's look at the last number five what else can we take away from this teaching jesus teaches his little ones that repentance and forgiveness are commands okay are commands He says, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him who has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, dress properly, serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards, you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, in light of the teaching, you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say... We were unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This is hard for us to understand being Americans, right? This is hard for us to understand being Christian because we are called to get down into the trenches with people. We are called to try to enter their world to understand them. So what's going on here? This is slave language. If you owned a slave and they work for you, the things that they're doing that are part of their responsibility, that slave owner doesn't say, hey, let me do those things. And that time period that they're talking about, that would have been weird. What we do understand is undercover boss. Right? Undercover boss is when you have the big wig from up high coming in and dressing up as a worker and working on the ground with people. guys ever see that? And the things that people say about (laughs) their management, you better be careful if you, if they do that to you. In a, in a very stretched way, isn't that what Jesus did in Philippians chapter 2? He didn't consider the equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he made himself a servant to the point of death, suffering. That's what Jesus did. And we're called to do the same thing. However, in this context, it's more of a slave relationship. So here's the point. When I'm in the trenches with people helping them work through these things, the timing on this is very, very important, but sooner or later, they're going to have to come to a point if you belong to Christ, that this is not an option. What Jesus is calling you to do. Because it's a command by Christ himself. And if you really, really, really want to see the importance of this and start to understand what's going on, that's why you have passages in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses that is heavy language and that is meant to be heavy because part of being a born-again Christian Christian who belongs to him one of his little ones means that part of your DNA now being a new creation in Christ means that this may be hard it may be impossible but I love God I love my Savior Jesus Christ and back to the faith card right increase our faith in this case doesn't mean focusing on what you cannot control you cannot control the other person. You cannot control what they're doing. You cannot control what they say. You cannot control what they think. You can't, cannot control their motives, their desires. You cannot control the way that they relate to you. But what is very much under your control is paying attention to yourself means that, you know what? I'm going to take a stance in my heart where I remain committed to my love for God above anyone else. And by doing that, as if I'm loving God and loving others, guess what I get? I get the peace of God that surpasses all understanding in light of the chaos that's going on inside, outside of me. That's what I get. So let's make this connection. Let's make this connection. What is the real supernatural work of the Holy Spirit according to this text and this passage? It's not having enough faith to heal. It's not having enough faith to do all the things that I listed. That's not what's going on here. What's going on is... The real supernatural work in the Holy Spirit. Do you know why the Holy Spirit needed to come? Do you know why Jesus, when he prayed to, in his prayer to his father, why he said, I must go away. I must ascend back to heaven. So why? So the Holy Spirit can come down. Not just down, like in the temple, right? Where you, one, one poor guy has to visit him once a year, and you don't know if he's going to live, right? Not that kind of way. We're talking about indwelling the believer. See, what Peter and these apostles needed to know, and they didn't know at the time, but I'm here to tell you today that what they really needed was the Holy Spirit. Because that was, the Holy Spirit would enable them to focus in on what they need to focus in on, and being controlled by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit would mean, I'm going to focus in on my own personal responsibility, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, come under this teaching of Jesus Christ and every step of the way it's not that like God's out there just like hey go get him no but he's in you helping you to do that isn't that a beautiful thing that's the real supernatural work of the Holy Spirit the real supernatural work of the Holy Spirit I'm not saying that God can't heal I'm not saying that God has never raised someone from the dead I, I kind of question that one a lot actually I, I'm going to go on record on that one I, I haven't seen too many dead men walking around Saying they came back to life I think that was John, uh, or Lazarus And I think that was Jesus I, I don't know anybody else I don't believe that when a baby dies We should be praying that they, they be resurrected from the dead I believe that wholeheartedly That just leaves disaster among God's people what I think that we, we really need to understand is the real, hope, holy, uh, the real supernatural work of the Holy Spirit involves things that are very much under our control with God, with the Spirit that's within us. And when we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So I'll ask you this morning my second question Are you stuck in a cul de sac this morning? I mean, we've talked about repentance and we talked about forgiveness. We talked about this being so- something that's hard, we talked about it being a command. But here's what I'm more interested about this morning. Are you stuck in a cul-de-sac? What do I mean? This picture here. We all know these things, right? In Redding, California, don't we? Like if, if, if you're a little, uh, like me, you're a little confused. You, that one in Anderson. You roll in, right, and you start going around. You're like, oh, I missed my exit, right? So I have to go all the way around again like this, and then finally you're off. Doesn't this represent in a a picture form kind of what salvation is in all its fullness? Let me explain. If you've been born again to the living hope, you've come in to this thing. You've started it already. It's called salvation. That's the first bubble there. You start moving in, and what's in the middle there, you can barely see it, but it says sanctification. So, So you're learning what it is to walk with the Lord after the cross. And then the last part where everything's moving, where royal blue is entering into this place right now, summation, that's glorification. The cul-de-sacs represent the, the, the times in our life where we get stuck. We just get stuck because life is hard. When we get stuck, we can get stuck because we're either, we could be sinning. Um, I know my stubborn heart very, very well. And I'll tell you, if you're gonna talk about me um, I'll pick up the work for you because I know me more than you do in other words, you're kind of, you're a sinner, you've done that I, I said, that's not all I've done, let me talk about my thoughts, you want to know my thoughts? you want to know what, my, what I was wanting? you want to know my desires? I'm a wicked sinner in need of hell, that's what I am, and if it wasn't for the grace of God and Jesus stepping into my place, I, I don't deserve any of this you understand? I don't deserve to stand in this pulpit. I don't deserve to preach God's word. I don't deserve to be a part of his church at all. But that was the throne of judgment in Hebrews 4.13 that Jesus saved me from. And it is the throne of grace that I ran to full speed with open arms. And I haven't arrived yet. I'll admit that. But sometimes I get stuck in a sin cul-de-sac. Sometimes I, I get stuck on the other side of it where someone's sinning against me and the suffering de sage that represents wisdom sometimes i have a wisdom issue that i'm just stuck i need help with talked to talk to chuck this week about just a brother you know being in the van we went down to a conference at walnut creek and just just an occasion to say hey i'm really struggling with how to approach this situation and he gave me great wisdom where if i acted on my first instinct i'd be in trouble i'd probably be repenting right now but wisdom we all need that right soma we have body issues right? We have body issues. So are you stuck? That's what I'm asking you this morning. Are you stuck in a cul-de-sac of sin, suffering, looking for wisdom? I'm going to give you guys some resources because there's no way to tackle this right now, and I've got to close it out. So the first resource, if you're struggling with the idea of repentance, okay? This is a book by Steve Gallagher. It's called The Walk of Repentance. And it is a, if I, I, it's like 70 some odd weeks where every day, where are you at? In the Word. This is the best place to be. So if you're struggling with that, note that resource. Next one. Maybe you're on the other side of it where uh, there's been sin that's been done to you. It's very, very hard. And you're wrestling through some things. This guy Chris Bronze has written a book. It's called Unpacking Forgiveness. It's one of my go-tos for people when they're struggling with this issue, and he'll answer the hard questions that you're probably asking this morning about it. The third one is just a general over, just a general conflict in general. It, uh, it's called Pursuing Peace: A Christian Guide to Handling Our Conflicts by Robert D. Jones, and he will just lay out a plan. It'd be good for all of us to to read this book somewhere along the line. He just lays out a good, good plan of what it means to maintain this peace within not only our own heart, but also as we we minister with others. So let me close this out. I started this off with increase our faith. Increase our faith. Do we need to increase our faith this morning? From the teaching of Christ himself, are we struggling to forgive someone? Are we struggling to love someone? Are we struggling to repent? That's what God's called you to do. Those are areas where you really, 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 really need to check in on your own heart. And you need to get start by getting alone with the Lord, Open up His Word. You may get one of those resources if you're stuck. And start there. You need help? You have a friend around you, someone you trust? Christian? Not someone who's going to give you Oprah Winfrey or Dr. Phil, but someone who's going to say, hey, I love you and I love the Word of God, let's meet there. Right? And they're faithful and they're going to meet with you often. Get help. We all need to reach out to people all the time. That's what the church is supposed to be about. Right? If you really, really, really are stuck and you need help and you feel comfortable, I know a lot of you don't feel comfortable talking to pastors, but we're available. I want you to know that. We are available and we will do what we can to help you out. But we're not omniscient. That means I don't know what everything's going on in your life and I don't know the details that surround it. So here's where we're at right now as far as ministry. I've been here for eight months. We're just trying to be faithful with the ones that are coming to us and asking for help. That's all we're doing. So, where are you at this morning? Are you in one of the cul-de-sacs? And then lastly, I like to say this. If you've been, one thing I've noticed since I've been in Redding, California, is there's a lot of people that have been hurt from a hyper-charismatic movement in town. And the, the culmination of that theology is going to let you down because it doesn't describe the world in which we live in. What I mean is if, if, you're, if you've been let down and you've come here from some part of the world here, I, I'm going to give you something else to chew on you're not here because of that hyper charismatic movement. You're here because God has you right here, right now, where you're able to see, hey, maybe I've been looking at this a little wrong. Maybe I've been conned because I haven't been looking at things in the context. I'm telling you right now, you don't need an apostle. You don't need a healer. You need the Holy Spirit and you need the Word of God. That's what you need. And that's what we're about. That's why I know 100% that's why you're here. That's why you're here. And if you're like, come after me after the service and you're like, hey, How come you're picking on me? I'm like, that's just the Holy Spirit doing what He does. That's what He does. If you've been here and you're not born again, everything that I'm saying is like the Hotel Transylvania, uh, you know, the the little vampire, blah, 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 blah. That's what it, blah, 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 blah. She's talking blowing smoke, blah, 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 right? Jesus is calling you to Himself. He is. And He's telling you this morning... Now, I think, oh, I didn't hear that voice, but here's what I do hear in Matthew chapter 10, or 11. I do hear Jesus with these words. And these words are just as relevant today as they were when the, the time when he actually said them. He says, and I'll say this to you this morning, you may have come here, is that Jesus would speak to me. Well, Let me show you. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna confirm anything but what he's already spoken in the word. And this is what he says. Come to me, all who labor, and all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's what he would say to you this morning. You need to come to Jesus not in the way that he's been defined for you not in the way that you thought he was but come to him as he is in the scriptures we're not to twist manipulate make him into someone he's not but just saying hey, here's jesus and here's the cool the thing the cool that's the thing that's cool about him he will not let you down i promise you that so your challenge is get to know him so if you're one of those people look i know i know there's people in here look you're lucky I don't have control over this because I'd be like, God, just start putting spotlights on people that don't know Christ right now so I can see them, but I can't. So the call goes out to everyone. If you want to know Jesus Christ this morning, let's get real. If you want to know Jesus Christ this morning as your Savior, I will stick around. Come talk to me because I'm, kind of I'm kind of a hog, right? I, I, a hog in the sense of this is my favorite thing to do on this side of heaven, so talk to me first, Okay. The very reason that I'm here, the very reason that I preach, the very reason why I'm on this side of heaven still is because there's still people that are coming to know Jesus Christ. That's not, there's no evangelism in heaven. None. This is here, right now. If you want to know Jesus Christ this morning, look, I'm not going to hit you with some holy water. I'm not going to hit you with an anointed handkerchief, which is not even anointed. I got it at Walmart for like 30 cents. And you don't want this. It's disgusting. Don't pay money for it, right? But here's the deal. I do have some Gospel of John's with a little track called The Two Ways to Live, and I would just challenge you. I'm not gonna manipulate you. I'm not gonna twist your arm. I'm not gonna have you sign a card. I'm not gonna have you sign a, share your testimony in front of tons of people. But I will challenge you to get to know who Jesus Christ is because what you do with him is the most important thing on this side of heaven. So if you are that person, I'm gonna stick around. Come to me, I'll give you this just as a starter. Why do I believe in that so, so wholeheartedly? Because when I was 22 years old, some genuine followers of Jesus Christ who I was working out with challenged me to read the Gospel of John. And I thought they were crazy for that because I thought people who believe in the Bible are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I'm science, you know? I'm a science guy. But here's what I come to find out. I didn't read John, but I read Matthew because that's my name. I didn't want to read John. That was his name. So I read Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 9, here's what I figured out. When Jesus called that tax collector, named Matthew out of that tax co- collector's seat, and he said to him, follow me. He got up, and he followed Jesus. And the Lord did the same thing to me. I followed him when I was 22. That's what you need to do. I can't twist it. I can't manipulate it. But it's the best decision you'll ever make. So let's pray. Chaplains are going to come up. They're going to be here. Let me just say this. Um, guys, it's hard to, hard to preach After the news that I've heard this morning With Royal Blue, but we're here for you Okay, that's why these chaplains are here They're, they're coming up now If you guys just need to pray um, Just come up and pray with them they, That's what they do that's, that's what they love to do um, So let me pray with that in mind Father God, I thank you for this time together Lord, I thank you for your word Lord, this is a hard teaching There's no doubt about it The disciples recognize that I've recognized it in my own life, and others who have been sinned against recognize how hard this is. But Lord, through all that, help us to see clearly our Savior. Help us to see your heart. Help us to be compassionate as you're you're compassionate. Help us to love as you love, and help us to love not just people for our own agenda and what we want, but help us to love people sacrificially, unconditionally. And Lord, help us to, as a church, Help us to be committed to this teaching. They will know we are your disciples by your love for one another. And there's no love for one another with with refusal to repent, refusal to forgive. So, Lord, help us to become a church where this is part of the DNA of who we are. Because we love one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.